You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Friendships are the stuff of life. I couldn't get by without mine. For me, they make everything better. We share laughter, tears, deep thoughts and silly complaints. But then not all friendships are created equal. And we tend to make friends at different times in life, like school, uni, work and mother's groups. Mother's groups can get a bad rap. Mine was brilliant, but I have heard some horror stories. So what do you do when you join a mother's group for support and companionship and you end up finding a toxic friend? Dr. Hannah Carell is the author of How to Break Up with Friends and she joins me now. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Look, mother's groups can be fairly intense places because you can feel really vulnerable when you go to one. Mm. You're so new at being a parent. Mm. Do you think that this makes friendships formed in those groups particularly fraught? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Look, parenthood in and of itself is is a bit of a psychological beast. So (laughs) what, you know, I suppose... Firstly, you know, just just give yourself a, a little bit of a pat on the back. Number one, to, that you're surviving. It's it's so it's such a fundamental shift in our reality. They they actually call it like didactic withdrawals. This is what the the, the scientists are calling this didactic withdrawals, where you shift and re redistribute your energies from other relationships in your life, other pursuits in your life to a completely new system, which is creating an entire family unit from scratch. So you become a mum, your partner becomes a dad, and suddenly you have this life in your in your home that you have to keep alive uh, and also find time to shower and eat and, you know, put a toothbrush in your mouth occasionally whenever you get a chance. So all of these layers of effort and time are already occurring for you just to survive, you know, getting through the next five minutes, let alone worrying about things like what about friendships in my life? And there is so much literature on how our friendships and our relationships change as we enter parenthood and what happens um, with our friendships as we enter parenthood. Uh, So I'm I'm really looking forward to going through some of that research with you, Siobhan. I suppose in answer to your question, you know, is, is friendship groups particularly difficult or fraught during this time uh when you mentioned mother group mother's groups which I think a lot of us are you know you're either kind of applauding or rolling your eyes because you've had a good or a bad experience (laughs) and there's not a lot of middle middle ground um but think about it this way like your your friendship group is your tribe right so your tribe of people who maybe the tribe that you went through high school with or the tribe that you went through uni with or the tribe you used to go out and party with or the tribe that you you know worked in your first job with your new tribe is is the ones who are getting you through raising this little bub in your life so that tribe is going to be really what we know with the research is you 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 go inwards when you have a child so your network suddenly contracts really really significantly so it's just you existing in the home with partner maybe mother-in-law perhaps neighbor and maybe like one or two closer friends coming into this little circle of you just existing and getting through this time Uh, now the thing about tribes is we gravitate to them because they're similar you know they're similar to us there there are people now parenting is about finding similar people who are also parents 
but we have to remember there are groups within these groups. So although it's you're all you all have this big thing in common, which is this new, you know, pooping, wailing, beautiful bundle of joy, <laughs> we all have this common little thing. It's actually really polarizing to be a parent as well, because think about how many differences there are in opinions on how to raise a child. Like, you know, tummy, back, wrap, no wrap, arms in, arm out, arms out, breast, bottle, pump, no pump, circumcision, baby earrings, co-sleeping, cot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> there are so many polarizing differences that are potential in this new tribe of people. So we're going to have to give ourselves a little bit of a break here. If, it, if you maybe aren't gelling with the five people that you got assigned in your mother's group, don't be so hard on yourself. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of potluck sometimes if you happen to get assigned a tribe of people who immediately gel. So one thing that always surprises me is, um, you know, I came became a parent sort of later in life. If, if that's how the doctors see it. I was in my 30s, but, you know, that was later. And so I felt like I had learnt my friendship lessons and didn't really think that, you know, I'd had my toxic friendships. I'd, I'd grown up. I'd let go of them. I'd moved on. But then sometimes I look back and think, oh, actually, I still occasionally pick up the odd friend who is a bit of a life sucker um <laughs> and then I turn around and go, how, yep. how did that happen energy vampire we call them exactly and I think well hold on a second I'm a mature woman I have wonderful friendships in my life how do we end up with let's say you you join a mother's group and there are brilliant women in there and then there's this one woman who just makes you feel perpetually like crap and yet you still think oh, but, you know, mm. she's having a hard time. That's why she's mean or her partner's not as supportive. Mm. I need to be there mm. for her. And then all of a sudden you're trapped in this mm. relationship that just feels awful and you feel obligated. And, I mean, it, it, how does this happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, you know, when you're it's, – it's so tough when you're in a little bit of a – and I keep using the word tribe. You know, you're sitting in a group of people and you're all wanting to support one another. You're in a really vulnerable part of your life where your body is in this kind of state of survival mode. So you're just, you've gone into fight or flight mode and your body is chronically pumping out adrenaline, cortisone, stress hormones, which makes you have tight muscles, you know, headaches, tension, uh, breasts are weeping everywhere, backs are sore, not getting sleep deprivation. Like that sleep deprivation was outlawed in the Geneva Convention as a form of torture because it is too <laughs> inhumane and and that's what parents go through every day for the first you know year or more of, of the child's life so you know it is so hard to kind of you know, be in a position where we're like, oh, I need to be understanding for this this person who maybe is a little snippy and perhaps she's a bit passive aggressive and rude to me. I need to perhaps give her a bit of leeway. But also I'd remind you, uh, hey, you're also going through that as well. Like you're going through that too. So, you know, be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Your energy right now is so precious and it's limited. You only have so much of it. So, you know, it's okay to recognize when you're walking away from an interaction constantly feeling drained. If it's draining the life out of you, that's a pretty good sign that, you know, this isn't really a reciprocal friendship. It's more of a you give and they take type of friendship. Uh, and if it's as overt, overt 
as that person um, perhaps being actually overtly rude to you and saying horrible things or making horrible comments to you. In those cases, you know, we we can take a little bit of, um, I suppose it's, it's assertiveness skills where we take that uh, step towards saying to this person, please don't speak to me in that way. And it's not about being rude. It's not about giving them a dressing down. It's not about yelling at them or having a confrontation. It's just, you know, just saying in a really kind, respectful voice with integrity, please don't speak to me that way. And and that's kind of giving that person the little mental nudge to be a bit more thoughtful in the way that they're speaking to you because perhaps they haven't even realized how rude they're coming across. What about when they're not overt bullies? They're not really mean, but they just seem to not listen perhaps, or they're always telling you their problems. And like you said, they're energy drainers. Mm. And you think, oh goodness, if I'm not friends with them, then they're going to be so lonely. And I really, look, I've got lots of great friends. It's my, it's my duty as a human to be good to another human. Um, (laughs) What do you say to that yeah. kind of feeling when you know, look, this is not the best friendship for me. It doesn't give me back as much as I give it, but I'm worried about this person if I was to disappear from their life. Yeah, you, you feel that sense of obligation for their mental health. And, you know, I actually have a whole section in the book about, you know, friends who are going through mental health issues and, and when we are worried about that friend's mental health. Now, I think it's really important to sort of be clear Having a mental health issue doesn't give a person a whole pass to treat you badly. So, you know, screaming, swearing, yelling is never okay between friends. And we're not we're not really doing that person any favors by allowing that behavior to continue because we're teaching that person, you know, an in an inappropriate way to interact with other people, which they take on into their next relationship and their next relationship and their next relationship. And we're sort of doing them a disservice in the long run because that person never learns, oh, I'm not supposed to talk to people like that. A conversation is supposed to be two ways. And I'm supposed to bring something to the conversation and also let this person bring something to the conversation. So, you know, I think in those cases it, it is a delicate balance between not wanting to hurt somebody who's vulnerable as you are yourself but also it's okay to recognize and to own you know just letting that person know and communicating to that person where things aren't working Uh, and I think you know women in particular we we sort of have this worry about you know confrontation with other women and, and with other people this this kind of it's called an all or nothing mentality where we swing like a pendulum between you know, being worried that saying anything is going to be really confrontational, it's going to be really awkward, it's going to detonate, you know, a a confrontation bomb and this person's going to start a fight with me or this is going to be super awkward or this is going to be the straw on their back, you know, on the camel's back that broke them and I'm going to be the reason why they, you know, they spiral into postnatal repression or so we swing from like this this all mentality where it's like this is huge and if I say anything it's going to blow up in my face to this nothing mentality so I'll say absolutely nothing to this person and let them keep sucking me dry but actually there is a beautiful middle ground in there Siobhan that we kind of are missing with those all or nothing mentalities and that middle ground is is communication as cliched as that is and as eyeball rolling as that is no one wants to hear that but it's it's 
actually being able to say with that, to that person in a real and honest and non-aggressive manner, you know, when we have a conversation and you talk to me for, you know, two hours and I don't say anything back and I don't get a chance to go through what my day's been like, that's really draining for me. And it's hard for me to keep having these conversations where I, I listen to you for two hours and I don't get to do any talking myself. I walk away from our conversations feeling really drained. And that's not labeling them as a person. It's not making claims about their personality. It's just stating the facts about what's happened and how you feel. You're allowed to say that. And if you said it, if someone said that to you in that calm and measured and non-aggressive voice, would you not yourself go, oh, whoops, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I did just hog the conversation this whole time. Let me, I'll do better next time. So, so there is this beautiful middle ground where we don't have to feel stuck between a rock and a hard place, where we can actually voice what's not working for us. Um, in doing so, we help that other person to start to change that behavior and, and do better and, and be a better friend so that we are not absolutely turning into a husk of a human being because it's hard enough already without then giving that last little shred of, shred of energy that you had to this one person who you know isn't realizing that they're, they're sucking you dry. <laughs> okay, well, um, to put some of your practical tips to use, let me give you a very defined situation. As you mentioned, sometimes mother's groups are a group of, I don't know, five or six. What if in a group of six, three of you get along really well and yet find the other three completely toxic? This is a group you've been put in and need to meet up with every week. How would you handle that situation so that you're doing it in a mature and compassionate way? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably reading between the lines, you know, you're sitting at your mother's group and, and some of the conversation's positive and we focus on the positives. And sometimes the conversation may get hijacked and derailed to discuss really negative things that we don't have control of. It doesn't uplift us to talk about all of the problems that we have um, and the things we can't do anything about. So we walk away feeling exhausted and tired and that negative energy is heavy and it's weighing us down. So in a group setting, you know, remember, you've got you've got some power in a group setting. Like the whole point of a formalized support group is that you're meeting to have a bit of a structured conversation and a supportive conversation. So you're allowed to kind of own that a little more and you're allowed to be a little formalized about it. Now, I know this sounds a little luxury, like, a, you know, you're turning into the teacher. I'm not saying that you jump in and be the leader here and take over, take over the meeting and set rules of the meeting. I'm suggesting that maybe you have a conversation with, the, with some of the ladies you get on better with about maybe setting some group rules about how much we discuss certain topics. So, you know, maybe we only give five minutes of the hour session to discussing grievances with our husbands. And maybe we only um, allow, I don't know, 10 minutes of the conversation to be about, you know, breastfeeding issues. And maybe we only allow uh, certain language in the group. So we're, we're very careful about, you know, how we speak about the children and we don't make derogatory remarks about the children when the children are in front of us you know so so setting a couple of ground rules and not targeting any one person in particular so we're not looking at you know pointing our finger at Karen and saying okay Karen no more swearing and don't 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 
don't stop saying that you hate little Billy in front of him. We're not we're not saying that directly to Karen. We're not you know tarring and feathering her. But if you set a group rule expectation, then no one individual in that group is being held accountable and made to feel that they're being targeted. But then all of you are able to commit to those group rules. And it's really important that you do actually respect them as, as I don't know, I feel like people might be rolling their eyes, but I'm honestly, I run groups all the time. I actually run groups uh, at the psychiatric ward on a hospital <laughs> and it is really important for you to have some rules about the decorum of the group and the discussion in the group and go over those rules at the start of every catch-up, especially if you've got some difficult to manage personalities in that group. You need to set the rules at the start for the first two minutes of the group every time and then have you know, have that conviction that when someone crosses the rules, you know, set the timer on your phone. So it's like, okay, this is our five. Okay, Karen started the discussion about husbands. So I'm going to set the timer for five minutes. And when it goes off, we all agree that we stop talking about it, all of us together. So no one person is being singled out there. I'd like to uh, end on a positive note. As I mentioned at the top of this top of this interview, um, my friendships are absolutely the things that keep me going. I have wonderful female friends, and many of them are from my mother's group. I know what makes a good friendship for me, but if someone's struggling and not knowing whether you know they should be staying the course with someone. Um, they're not sure if it's a good friendship because friendships have their ups and downs as well. What would you say are the signs of a good friendship? Mm, yeah. So I think, you know, in my book, I talk about, you know, what are the pillars of, of what I believe friendship consists of? You know, we talk about trust, you know, can you trust this person? Can you trust that they, they're going to be able to, to keep your confidence as appropriate? Are they supportive? You know, so they are they actually there for you to support you? Are they affectionate? So do they do they like being around you? Do they like your company or are they more like a wet mop when you're around? And and do they respect you? So respect is that last one. Do they have respect for you as a person? And sometimes in you know different hierarchies of jobs and finances and you know, societal positions in life, we can ha- we can meet people who perhaps, while they are affectionate to us, while we can trust them, and while they might be supportive, fundamentally lack a bit of respect for our opinions and our life status and and what we do with ourselves. So so I really feel like those pillars of friendship are very important: trust, support, affection, respect. And I think the really crucial one here is is remembering that it's perfectly okay to expect that in return. So you give good friendship and you expect good friendship in return. I love that. And I would the one thing I would add in my own book is that you love seeing them. I love seeing my friends. I get excited when yes, I need to see them. Absolutely. And yeah, that makes me yeah. know they're a good friend. Yeah, that affection part of it. Absolutely. Like you, you like being around them. You want to be around. They uplift you and you feel after an interaction, you feel good. You don't feel worse after an interaction with them. (laughs) You feel good after interaction with them. That's a very good defining point. Hannah, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Sean. That's Dr. Hannah Carell. She's the author of How to Break Up with Friends. If you'd like to find a copy, check out the links in the notes of this episode. 
Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.